Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Julian Lytle, and this is another episode of Ignorant Bliss. Last week, I was able to go to San Diego Comic Con, and I was able to record two panels. Uh, this one here is the spotlight on my friend Ronald Wimberly, moderated by David Brothers. Both have been on the show before. Both are great guys doing very important things within comics. Ron, of course, is a is a creator, a cartoonist, Um Soon with uh, pre- Prince of Cats main re-release through Image Comics and a bigger, better special edition along with things like Sunset Park and Gratuitous Ninja on the Stila app. David Brothers works at Image. Uh, he does. He manages the site. He puts out the Image Plus magazine. And he also um, is a great writer and posts essays on his thoughts on many different things. I uh, hope you enjoy. Um, I'm not on it. This is all you're going to hear from me. Read the show notes and the blog post about contact information and such. You know, you can how you can find me online at Julian Lytle, L-Y-T-L-E. Subscribe to this on iTunes or Google Play Music or Stitcher or a multitude of ways of listening, SoundCloud. And I hope you enjoy. Peace. video recorded so like eating this banana won't be weird yeah except that i just, said just recorded that on the <laughs> <laughs> so this is spotlight on ronald wimberly uh i figure if you're in here you don't really need an introduction but <laughs> i mean prince of cats uh pop at midnight your assistant on help or not hellblaze with lucifer for mm-hmm. a long while um slave punk sunset park yeah you got a lot going on attack on, yeah. <laughs> attack on titan attack on titan yeah yeah so uh yeah, I'm just going to start on like a very, very basic note. Uh, where are you from and where do you live? Mm. I'm from Washington, D.C. I grew up in uh, grew up in D.C. and Maryland, and a little bit of Virginia. Uh, now I'm in Brooklyn. I went to Pratt Institute mm-hmm. in Brooklyn back in 97. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I never, I never left. What is it about Brooklyn that keeps you? It's funny. So I spent a large portion of my childhood at my great grandmother's house in um southeast washington dc and i think it was just very formative for me in terms of like what a comfort level of density of people uh Mm -hmm. how neighborhoods work you know um and when i was a teenager we moved to like the suburbs like montgomery county and i think it was it was almost like a return to what was comfortable to me to move move to Brooklyn. Yeah, know? and it was yeah it was the '90s, so uh, it was this Bohemian Fort Greene era. You know, Brooklyn was real formative for me, like a a safe space to be creatively. Mm-hmm. You know, is that where Spike Lee's studio is? Uh, yeah, Spike Lee's studio. He's got he used to have the Firehouse, which is on DeKalb, right across from the park. And now he's got, I think he still has a building off of Lafayette in Fort Greene. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you were in 
what was it? Spike Lee's one movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Miracle at St. Anna. I was an extra in the film. I played a Buffalo soldier. Spike wanted American-looking uh, black men to play the Buffalo soldiers. So, and in a weird sort of, yo, he's like a steward to like young black men. He's like, oh, I'm gonna take y'all motherfuckers to Italy. You yeah. Know? So like, we all got. Yeah, we all went on a plane. We did um, practical training with, like, uh, M1 Garands and stuff. And, like, you know, World War II or, yeah, yeah, yeah style training. Um, dodging. Uh, we had this Air Force guy from, uh, like, British Air Force training us. The same guy who helped Spielberg do the, uh, the scenes in... Um, Saving Private Ryan, he was training us. That's you nuts. know, it was crazy. So we did six weeks, um, six weeks of shooting, or six weeks for the shoot. But four of those weeks were us just training, just like getting in shape, yeah, and ready for the revolution. Mm, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think the first time that I saw, I was saw, it was like Ron Wimberly's a dude in comics mm. was uh, Papa Midnight. You were doing mm. covers for those, and this is one of them up here. How did that gig come about? Uh, well, you know, I was talking about it earlier today. I think it was 2004. It was my first, um, or the Comic-Con maybe where I got work in comics. Uh, that's a lie. I previously worked for, um, I'd done a short, my first stint in comics. I did a short for, uh, Les Humanoids, um, Mattel Harlan. That's where you started? That was my first uh, strip that Jeez. I illustrated. Um, I had done, I had won the Dark Horse strip search for like December or something prior, but that was kind of like I don't know. If, I, I don't think I got paid for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the humanoids. Not that getting paid for something is what makes it, you know, its value. But yeah, the humanoids. It was a strip called Overdose, and it was about someone. It was about a, a young man who. Uh, would OD and turn into a spectral version of himself mm-hmm. to case places that they would rob. I forget the name of the writer. It was yeah. that long ago. You know, I'm sorry if you if you possibly are hearing <laughs> this or still working in comics. Um, that was for the humanoids. And then I came back to San Diego, and that's when um, uh, I got a job or got picked up by Vertigo, and I did uh, a Lucifer um, fill-in, and then I got a covered series, which is, I think, pretty bugged out. Yeah. You know, I thought it was bugged out. So, like, yeah. And it was with uh, Matt Johnson writing and Tony Yeah, Matt Johnson. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Who is still a great guy. He's funny on Twitter. His book, uh, Loving Day, just came out. I just started oh, okay. that, and it's, there's a scene set in, like, a Comic-Con. Where he gets seated and where the uh, black guys in the con have to sit, <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> and he kind of goes in. Wow! Yeah. Oh, I gotta pick that up. But so from then, uh, you mostly work on your own. Mm-hmm. Like you write and draw your own stuff. You've collaborated some. Well, yeah, I did sentences for Vertigo too, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like that's around the time we must have met. I don't even remember yeah. how. Yo, like it's weird looking back. How did you? How do you meet people? Um, yeah, Sentences was the last time I kind of did a really, which isn't that long ago, but a, a full book someone else wrote. But it was written by Grimm. You know, it was mm-hmm. his life story. It's a crazy life story. And now I, I push to write my own things because I feel like uh, there's space for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I can write. So, 
Why it's not? true. Uh, any Prince of Cats fans in the audience? Very cool. Everybody. <laughs> this is like 50% of the print run right here. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Yeah. It's true, though. <laughs> but so, uh, where did Prince of Cats come from? Um, man, I feel like I tell this story every time I tell it a little different. Yeah. Uh, I had, for, for years, I had had an idea kind of floating around in my head. Um, in regard to, to Romeo and Juliet, because when I first read Romeo and Juliet, like probably in like high school or junior high, um, I just remember feeling insulted by the spectacle of the characters like running around killing each other and like killing themselves because of love or whatever. Like whatever, that's bullshit. Like <laughs> it's like be just, just find another. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you know, kill yourself over some girl, right? And they were teenagers. They're teenagers, the part, right? Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's reflecting on me. You yeah. know what I mean? You, your ego. You know, like oh, <laughs> kids, they wouldn't do that. Then I got old and I was like, yo, kids do that shit. Yeah, <laughs> kids do that shit, right? And yeah, it, it became like a way for me to um, explore that and explore sort of the a lot like uh ask myself questions about the kids that i grew up around and like the things that they did because when you're an adult all of a sudden you find that like a lot of the kids you grew up with aren't with you anymore for random reasons like you know maybe they got into trouble maybe they committed suicide maybe they were part part of they had led a violent life Mm -hmm. um and it was a way for me to explore certain things that um i feel like even if you're from if you're a, if you're a black man of a certain age, you may I'm not I'm not going to project on I'm not going to project on other people and try to make it black malehood monolithic, but you may have a bit of questions maybe like survivor's guilt, mm-hmm. you know? You get to and when I started to write that I was around like maybe 25, you know? Started to think about, you know, the ideas started to bubble up. That's really when you start becoming an adult, too. Because, mm. like, there's no more safety net. Like, there's no college, any of that. Like, you mm-hmm. kind of have to do your own thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've been... I had my friends throw a net under me now, you know, to keep yeah. it 100. Um, but, yeah, but I started to think about that. And, like, you're hitting 27, and, like, you start to get older than the people, your he- like, your heroes who died when they were young. Yeah. You know, like, so I started... I got older than Pac. I got older than Biggie. I got older than, you know, all of these young men and I started to think about that and like you you maybe have family cousins and friends or old friends who like they haven't been as fortunate as you are or like and I started to ask myself questions I started to think about Tybalt I started to think about like uh, why did you know he was at he was well he was well learned right mm-hmm. he went to school like why would you know like why was he causing so much static you know and why were these guys, these kids killing each other? And why do kids kill, kill each other? I don't know if I achieved that exploration in the book, but that certainly is what sparked a lot of, uh, say, the shift in perspective, too. Mm-hmm. Also, I've noticed, in, I've noticed something that I've done regularly and how I think about things is like maybe looking at the perspective outside of the story that's told by the main character. And that was, uh, I think, a critical shift for me in developing Prince of Cats. Was thinking like, oh, I don't actually want to follow um, Romeo and Juliet and their story. But I'm, I'm wondering, like, this guy who kind of is cast is just the guy who likes to fight. What about like, why did why 
Yeah. It's like the <laughs> Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, not as uh, bugged out. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. think uh, we did like a big interview when Prince of Cats came out, and I forget if you said it or if I said it, but it's like stuck in my head ever since that Tybalt was on a suicidal rush towards manhood, mm-hmm. which sounds contradictory, but like when you're desperate to be seen as a man, mm-hmm. as someone who can carry your own weight or whatever, like anything goes. Mm-hmm. I think that's reflected really well in the book. But uh, so it came out through Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind, kind of, of a, yeah, kind of a small paperback. <laughs> it's coming out again later this year. Yeah. What's the deal with the new edition? Yo, the new edition, man, I went in. No, no Bobby. <laughs> I, I went in, like, I, I took, um, there were some things when it first came out that I wasn't, like, super happy with. Like, for one, the cover that I had designed for it, um, sort of like the sketch cover went out on it. Mm-hmm. There were things in the book that I didn't get final pass on, you know, so I didn't even, there were things that I didn't even notice uh, I remember I hand drew all of the um, sounds this time around, mm-hmm. and like I was on a page, and I was like, "Wow, that sound is actually on the wrong panel." <laughs> so I fixed that. <laughs> Things like that I fixed. Um, a homie of mine who helped me with the script the first time, um, someone who has a not Karen Green, who's actually in the audience right now, <laughs> but like uh, a friend. I probably should have talked to her about it, but a friend who's kind of just as much into language as I am she went over and she went over my language like the Elizabethan English a little bit and just the things that are you know that I didn't deliberately change Mm -hmm. she helped me take a pass and then I took a pass on her pass and so I fixed a few things like that um I added a 10 page sketchbook a new new cover um and that's mostly it I changed color in one or two places Mm -hmm. where I thought like (laughs) going over it again yeah and the format the it's European album it's nearly, size, right? Yeah, it's nearly twice as big. Yeah. yeah. And so I saw, I got this picture off your Instagram, mm. where it's your hand on the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are, are, did you hand color this, or what's the, no, what are you no, doing no. here? Um, I uh, pencil, ink, and then I do color in Photoshop, but I have a trick, because I, the look that I want, there's like, a, like an aesthetic principle, like Shibui, right? Shibusa. Mm-hmm. which is like uh, muted colors and then bright colors, but like kind of this uh, aesthetic principle where there's a bit of a fading and a texture that I wanted to have with the colors, so I added something, a little bit of okay. a little swag on it, I mean, <laughs> to bring down those colors a bit in places to give, which is like an aesthetic, it's an aesthetic that I principle that I kind of do regularly, but also in this case it's, it connects to the theme of the book, like some of the aesthetic themes. Mm-hmm. And this, someone always wants to ask, like, what's your pencil? And the answer is always, like, whatever works for the job. But, like, <laughs> what, what are the yeah. tools that you use? What are your preferred? When I did this, I did, um, I probably just used, like, a not too soft lead, maybe, like, a 2B. I like uh, Tombow pencils, you know, um, but sometimes just whatever's around. Scan yeah. that in. Uh, print that out as blue and then I inked over that for most of these pages but my process changed during this book like you know there's a good maybe like 20 pages so if you look at the pages there are some pages that are done on different paper and in fact there's a there's maybe a a few that are like a different size Mm -hmm. because and some are folded in half because I inked a good portion of this book uh when I was in Japan for like uh 
I don't remember how long I was there that time, at least three weeks, but I, I needed to continue working, mm-hmm. so, um, and I needed to move the pages. So I got a sketchbook out there. Like Some of those pages are smaller. Some of them are folded in half because I couldn't scan them. Oh, yeah. You know, and, you know, so my process flips and changes a bit, and the tools that I can get wherever I am. Part of the book I did when I was in L.A. working on Black Dynamite, you know, so, like, I'm doing, I'm finishing Black Dynamite, then I'm going home, and I'm working on <laughs> Prince yeah. of Cats, you know? Um, so the process changes. The color process is the same wherever I am because the tools are easy to transport, you know? What makes your process comfortable to you? Like, at, even on newer work or mm. past work, like, kind of, how do you figure out, like, this is what's right for me? I had a hard time on Grattan Inn recently uh, getting into it, um, just resisting doing the work, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I did the work, it was labor. Like, I mean, hard labor. Like, uh, not wanting to draw, even, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, another great artist, Richie Pope, came through, and, like, he was at the studio, and he pulled out this, like, I guess it's a fine liner, it's a pilot pen, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, I was drawing with that when I first started Grattan in, and I was having fun, but I was like, oh, this is maybe taking too long, let me try to digitize my process more. And then when, I, when he pulled it out and he did this little sketch of me, which is like a great drawing. This guy is sick. He's nasty. Yeah. Um, and I looked at it and I was like, yo, I'm, I'm going to, let me play with the tools. And it's like, actually, one of the things that's important to my process right now is doing the things that are sensually uh, engaging to me. So like working on paper isn't always the best in terms of like how long it'll take me to finish you know, like, it, it's inefficient, you know? Mm-hmm. Digitally, once you learn the tools, you can move quickly, right? Uh, but I, uh, I, use, I use paper and I use ink and I'll switch tools up to engage me. And that's an, an important part of my process now. You know, like, do what, what feels good. Like, mm-hmm. give yourself a reward in your process. And, like, that's, you know, that's been helping me out. And it affects the work. Like, I read this article... Uh, Ron Berger just did an article about uh, Basquiat where he's talking about how at a certain point uh, people who were gallerists or whatever they wanted Basquiat to work in um, oil Mm -hmm. but how that affected the way he worked because the immediacy of working with acrylic like was part of his like the spontaneity yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and so and that changes like the marks you can make with um, with Grattan in using that fine liner uh, not Maybe it's Pilot. I forget the name of it. But, like, using these flat calligraphy pens um, forced me to be less precious about things mm-hmm. and to be more uh, committed to the marks that I made. And also, sometimes not having the ability to do smaller details in a, you know, labored way. Yeah. And it affected the aesthetic of it. So by the time I get to the end, I changed tools again, and I went to, like, Sakura and, like, uh, Fude pens and, like, maybe the fine liners for larger areas. Uh, but the aesthetic had been already changed. And like yeah. it, went, it went to, a, like, a third place, you know? And, yeah, so and it, I need to do that. I need a little bit of... I need to slap box with yeah. the work a little bit, you know? Like, I need to, you know, get a little yeah, checked. 
Uh, I had no idea that Richie uh, did that for you. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Richie Pope, he's on Twitter, R-I-C-H-I-E-P-O-P-E. -E. Uh, he's done, like, Google Doodles. Mm, like, yeah. he got the Black he's History the MLK one. one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's killing it. Yeah. Uh, he's a great dude. Yeah. And, yeah, just a great... You know, another thing that Richie and Chris and Chris... <laughs> Chris Kindred is at yeah, NPR yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Visions, too. Like, when I saw them at SPX, for a long time, I felt kind of... Alone, and I would I would meet like a few people who would be kind of like rays of light in comics. Yeah, and like you and like a few of the folks in the audience here, you know, Goldman, Ju Julian, I've known Julian? Julian for <laughs> forever, and Ted from the beginning. You know what I mean? Like Ted is, was around when I first started to draw comics. Yeah, you know, and Karen. You know, um, I just felt like not into no offense, like the comics community. And then when I, I actually got out into a different type of comics community, I started to see, like, wow, okay, no, this is really cool. And Richie and Chris and Chris were part of that. Yeah. You know I mean? I'm glad I, got, I met Richie at TCAF this year. Oh, okay. We got to chat for a while, and it was really, really dope. But uh, you mentioned Grat Nin, Gratuitous Ninja. Uh, <laughs> it's on Steeler right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, like old issues you can pick up somewhere if you can <laughs> yeah 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 die, uh, dig I in think, the crates <laughs> yeah yeah I mean Google I, you know that's something I like to promote is people digging yeah you know because I feel like part of my uh, creative evolution like how I discovered who I am and what I'm into was about digging like not finding the stuff like right on the top like people talk oh yeah X-Men this that and the third and I'm like no like Dave Cooper you know what I mean? yeah. like that was like a formative, formative part of my relationship to comics was like his little pervy weird you know ripple and stuff like going to Jim Hanley's in New York and going to the adult section and like yeah. seeing these weird comics man like Dave is a killer, man. <laughs> he's just like, oh, I'm going to leave comics now. And more successful at going and just doing painting, paintings, you know, like, hopefully Mignola can pull it off. Yeah. I don't know if he'll be able to pull it off like Cooper. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck, Mignola. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you fail miserably and come back to comics. Yeah. As I do about, Co I feel about Cooper, too. And, you know, others. Uh, so, Gratuitous Ninja, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's... Ninjas and pirates in yeah. uh, modern New York, pretty much. Yeah. And it, I feel like it's a, a synthesis of a lot of stuff that you're into. Yeah, yeah. Like, on even on a storytelling level, on just, like, a conceptual level. Mm-hmm. So, um, Gratuitous Ninja was the second comic I ever drew. The first comic I drew was called Vandal Vigilantes. It was about, it was about like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that static fish. Yeah, yeah. It was about... Um, this guy who was like uh, a vandal vigilante, you know, like he's an anti. I was reading a lot of ad busters and stuff. You yeah. know what I mean, I had been all through like high school and stuff. So I was like, yo, ads, you know, control your space, man. Like destroy all of this advertising. So that was the first one. Then the second one, I wanted to work with form, right? Like the form of comics. And I was like, well, I had just really gotten into Mobius, and his his works were silent. The ones that I was I was really into, Arzak. And I was like, oh, I just want to work with the form. And, okay, we have to finish this Static Fish comic relatively quickly. Um, what am I going to do it on? And I was like, I'm just going to, like, ninjas are always doing stuff. Like, they're very active, you know. So what am I going to, I don't have time to come up with a title. I'm just going to call it Gratuitous Ninja. Like, it's, that's what it is. There are just ninjas, like, doing stuff. Like, they're active, they're cool, they're just mythical. You know, like, they're historical, sure. But they're like cowboys, you know. It's like, you have an idea of what the West was, 
the terrible, horrible, scary place. Yeah. And then you have like, you know, a guy with a white hat on, you know, and it's like, okay, that is its own thing. And so originally that's what Gratuitous Ninja was. And I put all, you know, my own sort of, you know, what the spectacle, what this sort of, the spectacle of an actual historical character or figure or class of people was. And um, I made this comic. And so now here we are, probably 10, 15 years later, it's always been um, something for me to experiment with uh, formalistically. And now I'm, I'm using it to experiment with like manga, uh, the new format, which is on the phone, so it's like scrolling. Yeah, so, it's all vertical. Which is in its own way kind of like some of the earliest uh, narrative like pictorial narrative forms were like on scrolls like the proto manga Mm -hmm. you know I think the first um, one of the first not the bubbles we had this on Facebook we were talking about what was the first sound sound as word or something right and and we were someone mentioned something and I was like well no there's this scroll this old animal scroll that has something like that you know so it's my way to experiment with those things and yeah, narrative-wise, also like ideas like appropriation, you know, which is like, okay, well, what is it like when you say it? Is it necessarily negative? And um, it's been a big part of my work, you know. Um, I've had like a weird relationship uh, with the aesthetics, certain aesthetics of Japanese visual culture. Um, I mean, growing up, even you know, like I, I would say most of us. Uh, the one visual culture that affected, for my generation, um, us more than, say, the West in general, mm-hmm. probably was, you know, Japan. Yeah. Um, and also, in terms of uh, the culture of objects in general. So, at a certain point, we had things coming into our environment that were strictly non-Western, you know, in terms of industry even, you know, mm-hmm. like a certain point, point Japan had bought 7-Eleven, had bought the 666 building in Manhattan, like Japanese businessmen. Yeah. Um, if you turned on TV, like Japanese animators were animating G.I. Joe. Um, you know, it went from like, you know, a, a few cartoons like Astro Boy or whatever to like, well, aesthet- you're being uh, American youth, whether they knew it or not, were being kind of their aesthetic was being programmed by like you know uh, t- television and aesthetics like flat aesthetics from the other side of the planet you know mm-hmm. and so that comes out in my work and that's an important part of my work you know how does that affect your identity and like how does being completely the assumption that you know maybe from the aesthetic anything about the actual culture <laughs> you know yeah 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 so that that's a part of Gratman too. And how do you see the uh, cultural exchange? Like, we have a conversation about cultural appropriation that's very big right now. Um, like, for example, uh, I think Blake Lively said that she had an Oakland booty and an L.A. face mm. on uh, Instagram, mm. which is a, like a so, Baby Got Back yeah, quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, who does Baby Got Back belong right. to culturally, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like you're taking that head-on kind mm. of in Gratuitous Ninja. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I have an opportunity to continue to create these, it gets... It gets direct because it's about a family. Um, it's I made a history for this story where I mean this you know spoiler alert where the um, where a group of 
ninja from the Namba region, like um, southern Japan, uh, follow the Dutch. So there, there's a historic event called the Shimabara uh, Rebellion. Mm-hmm. It's one of the last big battles and wars in like the um, in Japanese history. Like I think it's early Edo period, and the Dutch are involved. Um, and it involves a bunch of Christian, uh, Christian Japanese, and uh, you know Ronin, and like it's a great story, right? Yeah. Uh, Miyamoto Musashi was there. Like one of the last times the Koga were a part of a active part of like <laughs> war. It all happens in this one place, and the Dutch are there, right? So I was like, well, what if what if these ninja followed the Dutch, the you know the East India Company, yeah. to Brooklyn, and then for like. And that's when, like, that's when, like, they got to to New York, right? Yeah. And so, oh, okay. Well, I, well, what about this family who is like, are they American, right? But they have traditions, like many uh, people, West Indians, you know, Asian people, South Asian people in America have that, mm-hmm. and that sort of exchange between other groups of people, and particularly in this case, uh, Black and Latino who don't necessarily have the same type of connection to their culture or maybe the same cultural legacy mm-hmm. and what does that mean to interact with them there and then what is appropriation in this case yeah you know um it's like finding that line yeah and it's not deliberate at all it's just writing these characters because i grew up in neighborhoods that had this sort of interaction going you know and when you come in contact with people and you experience their culture not as a commodity but just as like uh, a way that humans interact, you know? Mm-hmm. And LA booty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oakland booty, LA face. Oakland booty, LA face. Okay. She definitely shouldn't have said it, but it was there's still like a conversation. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm wondering what that is, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know I, mean? I know what an LA face is, kind of. Right? Yeah. La face. <laughs> but I, uh, the cool thing about Gratuitous Ninja is that it sounds like a fantastic idea mm. or a fantastic coal, I guess might be the right term. But then there was the uh, Yasuke, the black samurai, mm, yeah, 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 who ended up being like a retainer for. Uh, Hold on, the, give me a second. Yeah. Uh, Nobu, Nobunaga. It was yeah. Nobunaga, yeah, yeah. And it's like, this sounds like an awesome movie, like unto mm. itself, but it was real life. Yeah, I have a surprise for you guys at Image, actually, in regard to Yasuke. Okay. But I'm working on it. I know you guys haven't heard much from me. I'm working. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm pulling together something. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Yasuke is a part of the mythology of the things that I'm working on, too. Okay. Yeah. Uh, speaking of history and kind of culture, your black history pieces, mm. I feel like especially in the past couple of years, like you've really gone hard on this in really interesting ways. Mm. Uh, what was the origin of this kind of push? It's funny because at the NIB, they hit me up the first time I did it. They hit me up and they were like, oh, do you want to, you should do something. Like we have these quotes, like find some quotes and then do portraits. So like I got to give it to them for that. And I hit them back with a bunch of quotes. They hit me back with a bunch of names. And I was like, oh, well, a lot of these guys, most of the people you've picked, actually all of the people you've picked are men. And, um, and they were, there were eight of them, right? Or we were going to do eight. Six of them were men, which meant that I got to choose two who mm-hmm. would be, like, not men. Um, so then I did 12. And that happens to work perfectly, you know, in a, you know, in a month. Um, so I could do four a week on the gram <laughs> and um, yeah I just was like wow okay this is edifying to me you mm-hmm. know what I mean 
also, when I got to the point where I was like, okay, they're the usual suspects, where it's like, okay, these are guys, I already know their quotes, right? But then when I started to be like, uh, I'm looking at this roster and like, this is not representative of like the intellectual or kind of like overall the voice of black history. And so I started to like dig and find people and think unconventional. And then the second year, they didn't ask me to do it. Yeah. So, and they weren't going to pay me for it. So I was like, yo, I'm going to pick whoever. I'm going to put Mickey Blanco on there. <laughs> like, I don't care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like, and I just started to go in and now it's like, I kind of just want to do it. Um, I want to do it every year, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, talk, I talked to another buddy, a cartoonist, the other day, and he was like, oh, well, and he's not black. He's like a white guy. And he's like, oh, I kind of want to do this. And just because, like, you know, there are a lot of, I just want to celebrate that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope he does it. He's, I'm a big fan of his, and, like, um, I'm not going to put him on blast, but, like, he's one of the reasons I got into comics. And actually, his teacher was a black man. So he's like, well, I just want to, like, I want to, you know, draw. Yeah. I just want to draw, like, black people, and I don't even want it to be about me drawing black people, but I actually want the drawings that I'm doing to be, like... About that. Yeah, so people can feel it, you know what I mean? But do it in a way where it's not like, okay, hey, check it out, I'm drawing black people. It's like, nah, I just wanted to draw these people, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not, it's really not, it's not, it shouldn't be, like, that big a deal, but it is a big deal, because shit's fucked up. Yeah. And what what is it that was edifying for you? Um, well just going through the quotes like while I'm trying to figure figure yeah. out what I'm going to pick and then I'm just starting to discover people and what they've said um, at one point I wanted to put so I was looking for um, particularly like black women and their quotes and at the time I was reading a lot and I still am uh, reading first person uh, slave narratives and so there are a few women from like uh, the antebellum period, like the reconstruction period, um, writers, and none of their quotes <laughs> were short enough to, <laughs> to fit in this format, but like, I'm, I'm just reading it though. So you go from a point where you, I don't know if you're creative, you, you get to a point where you're researching something and it goes from like being about work or researching to just like, you just gotta know. Yeah, <laughs> like I gotta know, like these guys, they're saying some amazing things. And in that sense, and also maybe about the audience edifying in a way where it's like, wow, okay, people are snapping this up, and this is powerful as people, you know, and I learned something about my place and position to, you know, you're creatively enabled and supported by your community, and you don't always know what that community is. Mm-hmm. I want uh, <coughs> to put you on the spot a little bit but I've heard this from several people I know several different comics creators where they see what you do mm-hmm. and they go like I gotta get like that like mm-hmm. he's doing like he's representing in a way that I wish I could or that I want to in the future and both from like young guys and older guys alike so I feel like these especially were, were really effective and then you had uh, Lighten Up mm-hmm. and also at the Nib which was about not just it's not even really about being black in comics. It's about being aware and kind of conscious of your work. Mm. Uh, can you talk about this a little bit? Yeah. Uh, it was It was like a little anecdote. It came about because um, uh, Matt Boards at the Nib, I told him a story. And I was like, yeah, I want to do this as a comic. And, you know, time went by. And he's like, oh, I really want you to do that. And usually I didn't have any time to do it. And so I started working on it. And... 
we were struggling. He's like, mm, I want you to be in the story. And or I want you to represent yourself in the story. And like, I'm working and I'm working and I'm getting more constraints. And then all of a sudden I have an idea of how to solve the problem. And that's where it's sort of the structure with the, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's credits of Matt really like pushing me to like into a corner where I had to be creative about solving the problem. And I just wanted to, I wanted to talk about this weird feeling of like, it's not, it's not me accusing someone of being racist where like, I, I mean, which I feel is a moot a mute point because it's like, yo, we, the structures of racism are there. We're all going to be doing racist things. And like, you know, are you willing to recognize that and like kind of adjust your behavior or are you just afraid of being called out? Yeah. You know what I mean? For something. And I wanted to get this complex all of these complex thoughts I had in my mind because like when it first happened I was like oh yeah I don't want to like make you feel some type of way but like that made me feel some type of way you yeah. know what I mean like <laughs> and why does it matter like why does it matter you know the the exchange is there the email exchange is there like it, it was like kind of I wanted to joke and be like yeah I'm not changing it. They, like this is ridiculous right that mm-hmm. you asked me you've realized how this is ridiculous you know give you like a way out and then came and then I got something back that was almost like no but here's the reason and I'm like but no there's no reason <laughs> there's no reason <laughs> you know <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah there's no reason and so at that point I kind of felt uh, powerless which I have a homegirl of mine who said something to me about something that happened Just quick sideways something for us to think about where something had happened to a friend of mine who's a who's a woman and she was like yeah well you know i know you want to do something uh but like you're powerless and like mm-hmm. sit with that because sometimes like that's what it is yeah and that's how she feels and like you need to like, <laughs> you need to take the L, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and i felt powerless but also at the back of my head i was like well this might this might have to be some art then <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, when the opportunity came, I was like, "I'll tell the story," and I told the story, and it was difficult. Not like you know, on some. Oh, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to work with Marvel again because I really, you know, maybe I should, but I don't give a fuck. But <laughs> it was it was more difficult because like I didn't want, I wanted the editor and I wanted people involved to get the information without being defensive about it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, one of the ways I feel like I failed is, um, and I don't know if it's my fault, but one of the things that failed about the strip is it didn't go through without raising defenses to the point where, like, I don't know if the editor learned anything from that strip. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, from what I heard Axel say, I don't think he learned anything from it either. You know what I mean? So. But I think that's the risk when discussing this stuff is mm-hmm. that you can't predict how somebody's going to react. You know, you, even if you lay something out in, like, a nice, even tone of voice, like, you use the right tone of voice, <laughs> right, right, right. they'll still be like, so wait, <laughs> this is about race. Are you trying to call me a racist? Right, right, you know, right. Even when you don't mention it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the... I appreciated the strip for, like, how evenly it laid everything out. It's mm-hmm. like, here's the situation. Here's what I did. Here's what you asked for. Here's how it ended up. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's tough to pull off, I think. Like, walking that line. That's actually my landlord. Really? That's terrifying. Anyway. <laughs> but no, this is uh, for an icer. Like, yeah, it's up for an People icer. love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope so. 
and uh, I guess continuing on the Marvel yeah. front, one thing you added to the description of the panel is why you'll probably never work for Marvel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to get, I didn't work. I wanted to get more people in here because I thought, like, you know, oh, if I say something, you know. Outrageous. Outrageous. And we're like, oh, what's this? Oh, he said Marvel. Like, I, yeah. I feel like half the things, it's like half the times people show up, it's like if I had just put, like, uh, Batman, Superman. Yeah. Black Panther, Marvel, DC, Disney. Spider-Man sketches, Spider-Man. variant cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People would just show up like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. And they'd sit through the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so they, um, I had done a few, Axel reached out to me, and like I had done a few um, things for them. I guess I had done like a Spider-Man thing, or like I'd done some covers or something, I forget. And he's like, well, towards the beginning of that, he's like, tell me about some things that you wanna, that you would be interested in doing. Like, show me some stuff. Like, what would you do? And so I put together some images of things that, uh, like, okay, what I'd be interested in doing. Like, Blade was interested, interesting to me because of like the spectacle of like black masculinity. Like, you know, a vampire who, you know, like, in vampires who are a vampire who can walk in the daylight as if he has some sort of like adaptive feature that allows him to like be in sunlight you know and he just happens to be (laughs) he just happens to be a black vampire hunter also a guy who like you know feels some type of way about other people who are like him and he's always kind of like fighting that you know what I mean like and it's you know kind of a a bit of an internalized conflict that he has a little bit going on in there yeah 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 yeah. and I'm like oh come on this this is rich (laughs) in every way you know so I wanted to do something with that, like, yeah, the black body as, you know, he doesn't really have a costume, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me, too. It's like the black body as, since I did that, we've seen, uh, unfortunately, like countless examples of how the black male body is sort of, is there a word for like super, uh, what's the academic word for that? I, just super threatening. I can't yeah, think of like yeah, the yeah, proper yeah. term, yeah, but yeah. like threatening outside, like, beyond its proportions, I yeah. feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and, like, a lot of, like, a lot of um, black superheroes, some of the guys have costumes, but they don't necessarily have to have costume. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? <laughs> like, their blackness is their costume. Yeah, Luke Cage's blackness yeah. is his costume. Yeah. So, um, his skin is literally, <laughs> like, superpower. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love these things. Uh, so, yeah, so I did that, and I did Cloak and Dagger, because I was like, let me do this, man. Like, you know, if y'all want to talk about this shit, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you want to have some, like, real exchanges between, like, you know, these kids, like, I've been that kid. So, like, yeah. let's have that. Let's, let's do that. And then I got in there, and he's like, oh, yeah, I know Brian Wood has a script. I was like, yeah, okay. Like, no, nah, I have no interest. I have no interest in, like, you know, he, you know, anyway. I had no interest in drawing that, you know, uh, but I tried to be polite about it, and I did my best to show that I'd be better at the job, so, and those images I made, and then when I realized, like, hey, you know, I don't know if I ever actually want to do this, mm-hmm. I'm just going to show this, because, like, I want people to see it, and, like, I want, you know, I know whenever I show something that's, like, a superhero on Tumblr or the gram. People just go bananas for it. And I, you know, I need the endorphin rush of getting a lot of likes on Instagram. So, like, I was like, check it out. Like, what I said about the panel, like, check it out. Yeah. Marvel, Blade, this, that, and the other. And it, it, blew, it blew up. Like, I got a lot of hits. Like, oh, when is this coming out? Well. 
But it's funny because they're not even... You know, like, there's, like, A-list Marvel, like, all the Avengers yeah. dudes. There's, like, the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Blade and Cloak and Dagger haven't been popular mm-hmm. in possibly ever. Like, right. Cloak and Dagger had a moment <laughs> in the 80s, yeah. you know. But it still blew up because I think there's something in how you approach the characters mm-hmm. and connected with people. Even if it's just, like, approaching it with real eyes instead mm-hmm. of just, like, he's a, he's a vampire hunter and bam, that's it. Like, there's depth to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you're working with these kind of characters, you often find yourself trying to find the... Uh, the hook that works for you? Mm. Yeah, so um, early on in my career, I have a, uh, my professor at Pratt, uh, one of my biggest teachers was this guy, um, Floyd Hughes. And he's, he would say to me, like, yeah, you're having fun, you're doing sentences and all that, but, like, how you're really going to get big is just, like, you just got to do, like, a couple of Batmans or something like that. And, like, then you can parlay that into an audience to look at your, your other stuff, which I think he was absolutely right. But the problem is, is, like, I'm kind of like, I don't, ever want to do Batman like I don't ever want to do any of this Marvel stuff but what he got me to think about or DC stuff what he got me to think about was how would I do it Mm -hmm. and so then I started to think about how could I make it fun for me to work on those things and then I started to get like wow okay well I'm actually really into this version this will never get made right because it's kind of caustic like okay so like this was a this was a bad idea like, how do you, and if you give a designer a problem to solve, like, mm-hmm. it kind of, it turns you on, right? <laughs> so, like, he's like, okay, well, how do I solve this problem? Like, how do I make, you know, how could I make a Superman story that I would want to draw? I'm like, wow. Thinks hard, right? And then all of a sudden, I had a problem that was really, you know, exciting to me. And that's kind of what it was with Marvel. It's like, yo, you want to eat, right? Like, probably the best page rate you're going to get how would you, you know, how would you do something with this? And it got me excited, and that's how I came up with these ideas. And the Blade thing was most, or the Cloak and Dagger thing was mostly a, a way to play with type. It was yeah. a reason to play with type. I did some character designs, but I spent more time on, like, the logo. sketching around, like, Cloak and Dagger <laughs> as, like, a, a type treatment than I did on the characters, you know, like, yeah. I just thought, oh, well, how can I, you know, how would I do that? And, like, the Blade thing also was kind of like, um, Thinking about it, even from brand and aesthetic-wise, so thinking about Blade, I wanted to come up with a story where Blade decided not to kill vampires. And, like, how, like, a narrative problem, like, how can I make something interesting? Because that's what people want to see. So, like, how do I get him to do the thing that he doesn't want to (laughs) do? You know what I mean? And I thought about, um, and the reason why, and it's obvious now, Drive was like I thought about Drive like this character who doesn't want to do or like is trying to do be someone else right Mm -hmm. and then has to like do it and that's why that logo looks like that because I was like I wanted to I wanted to make like Blade I wanted to be like Blade is like this guy he's pretty cool like he's not doing anything you know that spectacular and then it's like some shit goes down he's like oh I gotta fuck shit up now (laughs) you know like you know uh, another one that was good for that was uh, the drop. I think it was a Dennis Lehane novel turned into a movie with Tom oh. Hardy. Oh, no, a similar seen that. thing where he's like he did a thing once mm. and he's like never again mm. until you know Rock in a Hard Place. Mm. Uh, oh, the drop! It yeah. takes place in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. That shit, with yo, yeah. No, I love that one. That's good. That's good. He that is his most understated yeah. uh, acting role I've ever seen him do. And uh, Gandolfini kills in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit, I forgot that. That was a good one. Uh, I like that one so much that I bought the novel, like, right oh, after wow. and read it, like, back to back. But, uh, so we got, like, five, a little under five minutes left. Does anybody have a really good question? In the back. Yeah. Hi. Uh, I work with students at Night Info, 
know a lot of like early illustrators and a lot of them are very disillusioned by like basic hate comedy and mm. thing. What advice do you give them about self-publishing their own work? Ooh, um I think now is maybe like a great period for, I don't know, for self-publishing. Maybe, yeah, I think it should, in terms of access to readership, I think it's a great time. I don't know about monetizing so much, you know. I think it, it, pro- it possibly is. Like, I, I can't, I have to admit I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm out there too, kind of like hoping that it will be, uh, you know, uh, fruitful, you know, monetarily. But, like, I think now in terms of visibility, Man, there are people online who I know they have more readers than I have. You know, they've never been published by Marvel or DC, and I know more people see their work, and their fans are out there. Now, is it gonna pay their rent? I don't know, you know? But I think mainly what I would say is don't be discouraged, and also uh, believe in yourself and know that maybe if you're out there hustling, you might actually have more information than someone like I would have. You know, more information than someone like me would have. Trying to kiss the mic, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So uh, I would say, be brave, and it's certainly possible. Uh, right now, yeah, just be brave. And there are so many options. Sites like Gumroad, uh, Itchio. Like, you can publish your stuff and put it out there in a way people want, mm. and do like a pay which or pay whatever you want. Like, get a dollar a book, five dollars a book, or nothing a book, and people will pay attention. So, like, that bravery is really—it's tough, but like. Mm-hmm. You just got to suck it up and do it. Mm-hmm. But that's our time. Uh, right. You can find dpi.tumblr.com. Yep. Or, you know, yeah, you just Google uh, Google my name. I'll pop up. Like, I'm on the IG, too. I'm ronaldwimberly.com, too. You know, but, like, Tumblr is where I be at. And Instagram is where I'm at. Yeah. 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 And you've got a gratuitous ninja Tumblr. If you go back like 26 pages. <laughs> I hide things. I hide things on the internet. A lot of my Tumblrs, if you find them, um, they're essentially uh, a, a, a grab bag of media that kind of points to what my narratives are. It's almost like a mixtape of what, what it is. Like, there's actually a Sunset Park one that I've been putting out for a while. And like, it's just a bunch of media and things that relate to Sunset Park. And like, I don't expect any of y'all to find it, but like, yeah, it's, you know, if you, there's a hashtag running on my Tumblr that if you <laughs> click it, you're gonna be like, you might just know the whole story from like, <laughs> if, you're, if you're clever, you can figure out like exactly what I'm doing as I do it. Yeah. Cool, can I get a round of applause for this guy? Yeah.